0: So sometimes when I prepare a sermon, um, I'm talking about sometimes a topic that um, I'm okay with applying in my life. Like, it's something that's not that big a deal for me. Like, maybe it's something that I've struggled with in the past, and I've learned ways to, to work through it. Or or maybe it's just not a major personal struggle for me. Sometimes I have sermons I'm like, I, this is more for you, and I'm okay in this area. But then there are times when I preach on a topic that I have absolutely no right to preach about to you because I'm probably the worst with it. And this series has for sure felt like one of those. If you haven't been here, let me just give you a recap on what we've been talking about. Um, We've been talking about our Achilles heel. And what we've been saying is that everyone has the same Achilles heel. Achilles heel is a vulnerability or a weakness in spite of overall strength. Uh, There's a Greek myth about Achilles. And then we've been saying that pride is everyone's Achilles heel. When we say pride, we're not saying that the pride you have about your job. We're not saying the pride you have uh, with your kids or being, being the person that God has called you to be. That's not the pride we're talking about. We're talking about the pride that makes everything about you. That pride is everyone's Achilles heel. That's what we've been talking about. And that the solution for pride is humility. That's what we've been saying. And last week, we were getting ready to do another sermon and do another series, part two of our series on pride and um, the worship team was practicing and for those of you behind the scenes don't know this but um we get here about seven thirty or 8 o'clock um to start setting up everything has to be set up and torn down and on this little stage display here the worship team sees something that you don't they see like their their lyrics they see their their notes they see all that kind of stuff so they see something different than everybody else and normally, the worst team starts practicing. 8:30 is a good time for the worst team to be practicing. 8:45, we're running a little late. 9 o'clock, we're really late. Today was 9:15 we started, so we're really late today. So, and it happens. It's just part of it. And we only have the worst team only has 45 to 30 minutes in order to to get everything done. That's all they have. Um, and with those 45 to 30 minutes, um, they, they have to get things done as fast as possible, so if anything goes wrong with this, like, for, while I'm saying this, the stage like just went off, so good luck on the last song right now. Um, but when that happens, they're kind of in trouble. And if the notes are wrong, then they're really in trouble, and we have to redo everything. I am the person, throughout the week, who puts it all together, who puts everything down, and, and puts all the notes so that when she plays, they see what notes they need to play. And last week, they were getting ready to practice, and they practiced one song, And all of the notes were wrong because I did a different key. And then the next song, all the notes were wrong. So the team is calling me back saying, hey, like, these are all wrong. And I'm like, I don't know why they're wrong. I did these. They can't be wrong. I'm the one who put these notes in. And I'm like, Frank must have put a different key. So I was like, let me pull Planet Center. That's the thing we use for all of our keys. Say, I'll show you. I was like, I'm talking to the team back there. I'll show you that I'm not wrong because I'm going to show you what Frank told me to put. And I pull it up and I look. And in my horror, I'm like, oh, no. They are wrong, because these are not the same notes. So, um, team practices, and this whole, by the way, this whole time doing this, no one cares. They're all like, we don't care who's wrong, just we just need to fix them. Like, okay. So, when it's over, before we do family service, that's our service for the, the people that are, that are serving that week. I came up to Frank, I was like, hey, Frank, I don't know why all those were wrong, I'm so sorry. Like, I don't know what happened. He's like, oh, I, actually, I changed the keys halfway through. But again, it's not a big deal, like, no biggie. And me, in my humility, the best thing to do would be to, Leave it alone. But what I did is I went straight back to the people. Tyler's over there. He was one of them. Who, again, no one cared that it was wrong. I said, hey, I need you to know that Frank changed it halfway through, so I was never wrong on this. (laughs) It was Frank's fault, okay? And they went, okay. Like, we don't care. And then an hour and a half later, I preached to you about pride and how you should have humility. (laughs) What I've learned is no matter who you are, pride is a struggle. Pride is a problem. It is an issue. Sometimes it shows up through arrogance. That's how we see it. Sometimes it shows up through fake humility. Sometimes it shows up through resentment or anger or just blaming somebody else. It shows up in so many different ways, but I found it always shows up in all of our lives. But for many of us, just like me last Sunday, pride led me to get to a point where I had to manage my image. I could not be wrong, so I had to do something about it. I couldn't allow anyone to think I was wrong, because I had an image to protect, an image that I'm not wrong. Maybe for you it's like, I can't apologize to my spouse, I have an image to protect. I can't allow someone else to get the credit for something I did, I have an image to protect. I can't keep quiet when I disagree, I have an image to protect. And if we do not deal with our pride problem, what tends to happen is we get really good at pretending. We get really good at keeping up this image that we've created. And we get really good at this, wearing a mask. I decided to find the creepiest mask I had in my house. But is what we do. We get really good at wearing this wherever we go. We have our work mask. We have our church mask. We have our family mask. And then maybe at home we might take that off. But if we're in a flight with our spouse, we put that mask back on. Our masks model the image we want people to see, but hide the truth of who we actually are what they do. The mask we put on makes us look smarter than we actually are. The mask we put on makes it look like we have it more together than we actually do. The mask we put on makes it seem like we care about our, our, our marriage more than we do, or we care about the image of our marriage more than we care about the health of our marriage. When we put this mask on, we care about the appearance of success more than honest success with morals. That's what these masks do. And I've heard I mean, I don't know if it happens here, but I've heard that these masks even make it in church sometimes. Every once in a while, somebody will come in and they'll have this mask on and they'll say, they'll walk in and they'll hey, brother, hey, sister, how you doing? It's a great day in the house, Lord, amen, amen, amen. Like they're like a religious Hulk Hogan. And they're like talking to them. And the whole way here, they're yelling at their kids and putting their their spouse down. But yet they walk in and they go, time for church. Got to put my church mask on. I got to be the good Christian person. But here's what's scary about masks. We put this on because we feel a pressure. Sometimes that pressure is from society. Sometimes that pressure is from other people. Sometimes that pressure is just from inside us, but it's a pressure. And this pressure tells us that we have to put this mask on in order to keep up with our image, that we have to wear it because if people knew what was behind it, maybe they won't love you as much. So we have to keep this mask on. But the longer we keep this mask on, the more damage it does the more damage it does to our relationship with other people, the more damage it does to our own mental health, the more damage it does to your relationship with God, and the scariest one to me, the more damage it does for other people to connect with Christ. When you, who say you're a follower of Jesus, continue to wear this mask, the more damage it does to the other people who see it on you. See, I've been at church church world for a long time. I've talked to so many people who have walked away from the church or have walked away from faith. And there are so many reasons for it. But there's the main reason that angers me the most is that when people say, I walked away because of this person, because I saw who that person really was. And that's a lot of people's story. They go to a church and someone who is a leader of some sort, maybe the pastor, maybe just a leader in the church, they're really good at wearing this. And everyone starts to believe until you find out that this was just a mass the whole time. And behind closed doors, they didn't act the way they preach. And all of a sudden, they say, well, if they can't do it, they're a hypocrite, I'm out of here. Not only am I leaving the church, but I'm also going to leave the faith. I've heard that story so, so many times. And someone leaves the church and leaves their faith because um, because they, they saw... St- they, they decide they didn't believe in Jesus anymore. I'm not okay with that, but like I don't control that. right? I, I don't save anybody. I don't lose anybody. My goal is to model what Jesus called me to model for them, and then the Holy Spirit moves them. I don't save anybody. If someone leaves the church because of that, then I get it. But if someone leaves the church because the people who were supposed to model that love corrupted it instead, I'm not okay with that, and you shouldn't be either. So then we start to think, and this is what I think, what do we do about this? Because I can't help but put the mask on. I'm always putting this mask on. I, 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 I know I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't be a hypocrite, but I feel like a hypocrite a lot because I say things I mean it, and then I don't do it. And here all of a sudden the mask is back on and I completely get it. And I'm right there with you. I think the best thing, if you're in this room and would consider yourself a follower of Jesus, the best thing we can do is stop pretending like we aren't a hypocrite. Because when you walked in, you may have been greeted by a hypocrite. Your kids upstairs are possibly being led by a hypocrite right now. Every once in a while, a hypocrite gets up on stage and almost every week, a hypocrite preaches to you. We're all hypocrites, but the only hypocrite you should focus on is yourself. It's because there's too much at risk for our faith to be worrying about everyone else, all the other hypocrites, because when I read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the story of Jesus, the way Jesus talks to the religious people is completely different than the way he talks to everyone else. In Matthew 23, if you have your Bibles, they'll be up on the screen, Matthew chapter 23. We see that Jesus preaching, he's preaching his last sermon. You know what I love about this, he's preaching his last sermon. Um, he's in the heart of his ministry. He's about a week away from being crucified and he knows the end is about to come. Every time in the gospels, he talked to the the. The sick or the poor, he talked a certain way. But then when he talked to the religious, they he talked completely different. And every time he would heal someone or preach or say something, the religious people, the elite, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they would overhear it and get mad at him. So by Matthew 23... Jesus is done talking to the Pharisees. He's done talking to the Sadducees. He's got a week left to live, so he doesn't, he's not holding anything back anymore. He's going to say things the way he needs to say, and he preaches this message, knowing that the Pharisees and the Sadducees are going are to hear it. Here's how he starts in verse uh, four, uh, verse 1, Matthew chapter 23, verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Jesus talks directly about the religious elite. He says that they sit in Moses' seat, which was a place of honor and of power, and they will tell you how to act, and they will tell you what you should do. They will give you instructions that you can't possibly follow, is what he's saying. They will do that, and that no one can actually carry. All the while, they'll be wearing this massive religious entitlement when they are completely corrupt. And the message that Jesus gives all about the religious, all about the church people, if you're in the room and you consider yourself a church person or a religious person, it should scare you like it scared me. Because when he talks about the church people, I've never heard Jesus be this harsh. Here's what he says, keeping all the way down to verse 33. This is talking to the church people. He says this, You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? He's saying that to the people who have studied scripture their entire life. You're snakes, broods of vipers. Jesus never spoke this way to the tax collectors. Jesus never spoke this way to the prostitutes. He never spoke this way to the sinners. He only spoke this way to the church people. You know why? Jesus hates pride. So when you confess to be a follower of him, but you make it all about you leading others astray in the process, it angers him. He expects more out of you and out of me. And what I find fascinating is that the longer we follow Jesus, the longer we're in church, the longer we're religious or whatever word you want to use, the longer we do that, the, the easier it is for us to condemn everyone that we consider not up to par with us. It becomes so easy. Like, those are the people that are destroying our society. Those are the people that are corrupt. Those are the people that Jesus looks at and is embarrassed about, and and his wrath comes out. But when I read the scriptures, Jesus doesn't look at those people. He looks at me and you. He says, you know better. You understand the grace that I have given you, yet you refuse to give them grace, a grace that they haven't understood yet, and a grace they haven't understood maybe because you didn't model it correctly. You are a bunch of brood of vipers and snakes. Welcome to Beck Church, everybody, where I just kept calling you snakes and brood of vipers. So as I preach today, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, his message is for you and for me. Not the sinner who you think is destroying the world and our culture. It's for you. The one who confesses to follow him, but keeps putting this mask on anyways, just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees did. If you're here today you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you're going to love this sermon. Because this sermon is probably some of the reason that you're not. Because of all the people that Jesus is talking to. So out of his last sermon, this sermon is called The Seven Woes, I believe we can learn many things about prideful pretending. About putting on this mask, especially when it comes to following Christ. Here's the first one. Prideful pretending causes me to be more concerned about what people see than who I am. Don't raise your hand for this, um, but which would you rather happen? Would you rather win the lottery and become a millionaire overnight, or would you rather work very hard, have to deal with poverty for a long time, have to deal with hardships for a long time until eventually you get to the point where you eventually become a millionaire, but you have to go through a long season of hardship in order to get there? Most of us want to be this one, but my guess is most of you like just give me the million dollars like that, that's fine. I'll just take it. I don't need the hardships. I don't need all that stuff. We'd all say, yeah, it's better to do this because you learn skills, all that stuff, but um, I'd rather just take this one because it's easy and I'm a millionaire next day. We would all agree this is more successful, but the problem is this takes work. This is easy. We tend to think this way in many things. I want to be smart. I want to be educated, but I don't necessarily want to put in the work to be educated. I, don't want, I, I want to feel close to God, but I don't necessarily want to do the spiritual disciplines that help me get closer to God. Because we have a desire, but do not always have the follow-through. It is so easy for us to settle, settle for the shortcut of looking the way we want to be rather than actually being who we want to be. And here's how Jesus would say it in verse 27. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. Again, whenever you see that, teachers of the law and Pharisees, if you're a Christian in the room, I want you to put your name there. Woe to you, Eric, you hypocrite. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Prideful pretending caused me to be more concerned about what people see than who I actually am. Um, here at church, we have uh, what we call giving fund, this giving fund is completely sponsored by all of you and any any money that goes into our giving fund is solely used to help people in need so if someone in our church um, has a bill they need to pay or somebody um, has they're in a hardship and they have mortgage they need to pay then that that budget goes solely to that that budget doesn't get used for anything else it's provided completely by you and every once in a while, we will find families that are just in a hardship and need help, and they do it. No one knows that, that we give it to them, that we help them, but we just get their bill. We pay their bill for them. And it happens a lot. We pay mortgages. We pay BGE bills. We pay a lot of different things. And every once in a while, there's somebody that loses a job unexpectedly and is in need. And we'll call them and say, hey, we have this giving fund. It's solely for this purpose. It's solely for for you at this point. So let us pay for whatever it is, that mortgage. That's why people give to it, is for us to do that. And every once in a while, somebody would be like, nope, I can't do that. I can't take that money. No, I can't. We'll figure it out. And like, no, no, we, this, that's what it's for. It's like, no, no, I, I can't do that. That's now I'm going to do. And I get it. You're trying to be humble, but I would say it's actually pride. That's false humility. If somebody's willing to lend a helping hand and you need it, it's not pride by taking it. If you need a helping hand, you need to take it. That's that's actually prideful. Don't allow your concern of how you look, which is what that really is, hurt who you actually are. That's what happens when we wear this mask. Number two, prideful pretending causes me to be more concerned about the way things were than the way they should be. So let me ask you a question, and you can raise your hand if you want. Actually, yeah, I want you to raise your hand for this one. This one's not as hard. Um, How many of you would say Um, that you think the music that you listened to growing up is way better than the music that is currently out right now. Show of hands, everybody. Every single person in the room raised their hands, right? And if you look around the room, we have all different ages, all different, so we have people that listen to music in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, right? We all raise our hands and we all think that. Um, And the only group that is right is the one that listened to 90s music. That's the one that's right, everything else wrong. Actually, I I don't want to admit it, but my dad's generation had a lot of really good bands. He might be right, but I will never admit it, because I have too much pride. Anyways, <laughs> I listened to um, an interview a long time ago that broke down why every single person thinks this. Every single person has music they listen to when they were in high school and college that really formed them. And then you get older, you look, you look at that music, you just listen to the old music, and you always listen to the new ones. Like, it's not as good as it was back in the day. I listened to an interview and it made, it made a lot of sense. When you're in high school and you're in college. You're discovering music for maybe not the very first time, but before you listen to your parents' music or whatever they put on. But you're really starting to understand music clearly in high school and college. So everything you hear, every band you hear is fresh because you've never heard music like that. So you keep hearing all this fresh music. completely changes what you think about music. And all of a sudden, it forms your opinions. So then when you, when you get to your 30s, It's not as fresh anymore because you've heard so much music, so you listen to less new music. You get to your 40s, it's really not fresh anymore. You get to your 50s, it's less fresh. All of a sudden, before you know it, it's so long. You've listened to so much music, so many different kinds of music, that it's not fresh to you anymore because of what it was back then. Because of that, we all look at the music that formed our musical taste as the best music. And the music now and the music back then is not as good objectively we know this isn't true this can't be true objectively unless you're maybe my dad but everybody else objectively isn't true but we all think this and this mindset goes way beyond music we tend to think whatever it was back then because it worked for me is what should be now and even jesus addresses this in verse 29 it says woe to you teacher of the law and pharisees insert your name there you hypocrites You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourself that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. The Pharisees and the Sadducees We're so concerned with the past prophets, with the past law, with how things used to be, with passing that law down from generation to generation without changing it, everybody following all those 600 commandments, doing that, that they missed the Messiah they were supposed to point everyone to. They missed him right in front of them because they were too concerned with the past. How often do we do the same thing? I understand that some things may have worked in the past, but just because that is how things have always been done doesn't mean that's how it should be done today. You can spend your time fighting for the ways of the old or realize that God created you for this exact moment, for this exact culture, for this exact group, so you can show this group in this time the God of the universe. Here's what I'm learning, especially when it comes to church. My generation and the generation after me, the generation younger than me, both those generations do not care about institutions. They don't care about institutions. What they're most concerned about is social justice, help those in need. Yet the church found a way to make the church an institution. When the message of Jesus, if you read it, is all about feeding the poor, helping the widows, helping the sick, helping those that are in need, to helping other people speaking out for those people that have no voice. And then we wonder why when we made church an institution and we ignored that commandment, the one that Jesus said, I'm going to know you're a follower if you do all of this stuff, then we wonder why isn't the younger generation coming to church anymore? Maybe because they don't want an institution. Maybe they want to actually help someone. And if we went back to, I don't know what Jesus told us to do, maybe the younger generation would actually want to come again. Maybe it's because we're too concerned about how it used to be and not what we need to do today. When we're too concerned about pretending, about putting this mask on, we will stick with what we know instead of taking a risk of taking the mask off and discovering who God is calling us to be and what God is calling us to do today. And then the last one, number three. Prideful pretending causes me to be more concerned about my image than developing my character. Uh, sometimes I'll, ask, I'll have people ask me, um, what's the hardest part about preaching? about preparing a sermon. What's the artist part? And it's never breaking down the text. There's so much information on all these texts that you can break down. You can find out what it means pretty easily. It's never the stories. I can normally think of stories. I'll ask my wife for a story. Especially so if it's a story that's bad about me. She has a list of those. So she'll just tell me some stories. Never that. It's always finding a way to make it applicable to you. Because there's so many different people in the room. It's hard to find these truths that were written thousands of years ago to find a way that I can make it apply to all of us. That's always the hardest part, the the application part. Jesus, in this sermon, has an application part. It's a clear application to to the people that are listening. Then when we hear it, we think, what in the world does any of this mean? But once we understand it, then it really makes an impact. Here's what he says, verse 5. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide, the tassels and their garments long. You probably read that and go, I have no clue what a phylactery is. So let me tell you what that is. In the book of Deuteronomy, which is one of the Mosaic books, God gave his people a command. Here's what it said uh, in Deuteronomy 11:18. Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be a f- as frontals between your eyes. So it's a, they, they, the Pharisees and the Sadducees read that, and they take it literally. So they say, okay, we're going to make these phylacteries we're going to bind them They're, which are going to be little boxes we're going to bind them on our forehead and on our arms and we're going to tie them there whenever we read scripture and memorize it we're going to put it in the box and that's where we're going to keep it because that's what deuteronomy told us to do you can see how very quickly it becomes a competition the bigger the box is, that means the more, more scripture has been read. The more scripture has been read and memorized, then the more religious you are. So all of a sudden, these Pharisees and these Sadducees are so concerned with their phylacteries. They're making them as big as possible because they want to look as spiritual as possible. And if you weren't as spiritual as them, they would look down on you. And if you are here and you feel a little more superior than other people because of your faith, the way that the Pharisees and the Sadducees felt, what Jesus would say to you is just simply, woe to you. Woe if you look down on others because of their faith. Woe if you judge others or if you look down on them when they agree with you theologically but not politically. Woe to you. Woe if you feel that you are a little easier to love than the other people around you. Woe to you. Woe if you are more concerned about someone else's sin and ignore your own. Woe to you. I've learned that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. That means we all need to be saved. That means we all need to be. And that none of us are more important than the other. And we all need to take this mask that we constantly keep putting on, this mask of prideful pretending off, and surrender all of it to Christ. So how do we do that? How do we stop pretending? How do we stop playing this game of religious prideful pretending? and actually follow Christ the way he wants us to, Jesus answers that for us. In verse 11, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's a promise, and that's an invitation. He promises. He promises that those who exalt themselves, you're going to be humbled. I promise, if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. It's also an invitation to be a servant, to serve others, to humble yourself. So if you want to take the mask off, you want to come clean to God at the foot of the cross, you need to serve others without any ulterior motives. So here's my closing challenge for you. This week, I want you to serve someone in private, privately. No one will know. No one will know what you do. Maybe it's your spouse you're going to serve this week. Maybe it's your kids you're going to serve this week. Maybe it's the person behind you in the drive-thru. You're going to serve somebody. Maybe you'll drop groceries off to a family that needs it and they'll never know it was you. Serve someone in private. Don't announce it. Don't look for the applause. Don't do it so you feel like you can earn something later. Serve someone for no reason but then to bless them. Now for some of you in this room, and I know some of you, you have such a servant heart and you have such a servant heart and you do it in private that you won't ever take a compliment, some of you. And here's what I would say to you. Instead of just deflecting it back as some people do, I say, hey, thank you for doing that. I nope, it's all about God. Like he just did it for me. Just God. Like instead of that, that isn't humility by not being able to take a compliment, by not being able to accept someone's gratitude. That's not humility. That's false humility. That's also called pride. So if that's you, if someone says, hey, thank you, simply say, you're welcome, it's an honor. My, um, my grandmother always say it this way, don't rob me of my blessing. That's what she would always say. Don't rob me of it. So for you, who are you gonna serve this week in private? In order to do that, in order to truly do it without any ulterior motives, not hoping that your spouse is going to notice it so you get some brownie points, out, hoping that that person knows the so next time you need something, you're going to you're going to get it from them. Not hoping that because you pay for the person behind you that the next time you go, someone's going to pay for you. Not that. Not looking for applause. You simply serve because you want to serve them and bless them. When we do that, the only way we can do that is by complete and full surrender. Surrendering at the foot of the cross. So what I'm going to do I'm going to give you a little bit of time to right here, right now, surrender. Surrender whatever it is that you need to surrender in your life that is keeping you from actually serving. That pride in your life that is keeping you from taking this mask off. I'm going to give you time between you and God right now to surrender it. Say, God, I'm at the foot of the cross I know I'm not better than anybody else. I'm just a beggar that needs bread. And I'm coming to you for that grace. I'm going to give it up to you now. So I'm going to give you a couple minutes in full surrender to offer it up to him. We're going to sing this closing song together. So take this time between you and God, be in his presence and surrender to him.